Okay, so it is December 31st. I never know what to say to people on New Year's Eve. I don't know if you're supposed to say Happy New Year when it's still the old year. So I generally say Happy Old Year to people. Um, So Happy Old Year to you. It is December the 31st, and this is the time, I would be very surprised if anybody doesn't relate to this, that most of us stop and we look at the end of the calendar year and we go, huh, how's it going? And we sort of take stock, right? And we think about where things are going and how we're doing. And you maybe remember back to January 1st of 2017 when you committed to going to the gym three times a week. You remember that? Yep. And you you remember about how you were going to, you know, have your quiet time every day for an hour before you ever did anything else. And you remember about how you had set some goals for your job and you were going to become this and get this uh, promotion and this raise and all that. Maybe you had relationship goals that you were going to work on. Uh, Maybe you, you know, had health issues that you were trying to get under control, lose a few pounds or put on some muscle or whatever it is you're trying to do. Uh, You know, this is always the time of year that I look back and say, how did my team do? Like, you know, did, did your team do well or did they break your heart in the seventh game of the World Series, right? Or, or did your team win the big crosstown rivalry or did they get beat by the evil guys in the red and yellow shirts, you know, and you think about that and, and you just try to take stock. But here's the thing, really seriously, our weight, our wallets, our jobs, our teams, how much does that stuff matter in the big scheme of things? How, what, do, what do we really need to take stock of? What do we really need to think about? Where do we need to evaluate and what way maybe do we need to change as we go into 2018? I want to give us some perspective and then we're going to talk about some practical things. So I want you to go to the book of Luke, New Testament book of Luke. Go to Luke chapter um, 12. And we're going to let Jesus tell us a story here in Luke 12, beginning at verse 16. Jesus loved to tell stories in order to help people understand truths. And in chapter 12, verse 16, here's where he begins. He says, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Okay? So this is a farmer. He's he's taking stock at the end of the harvest season. And at the end of the harvest season, he recognizes something. He says, this is the best year I've ever had. In fact, my, my, my crops yielded so much more than I anticipated, I don't even have barns big enough to store all this. Now, you have to understand, agrarian society, what your crops produce, that's your wealth, right? So this is his measurement of wealth, and he looks out and he goes, I have more money now than I've ever had in my life. It was a phenomenal year. In fact, it was such a great year that I'm going to have to tear down these little dinky barns I've always used, and I'm going to build giant silos to store all this grain in, and it's going to last me for years, and I'm going to be fine. I'm just going to put my feet up, sit on the couch, watch Netflix all the time, and do nothing from now on. That was his plan. But it gets interesting in verse 20. But God said to him, You fool. 
This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So how successful was your 2017? Maybe get past the number of pounds, maybe get past the number of dollars, maybe get past the promotion or lack of promotion or what's happening in your relationships and ask yourself this question. On the things that are really important, on the things that are really truly significant, how was your 2017? I think it's worth it for us to stop for a minute and ask that question in light of what Jesus thinks is most important. And, and in order for us to get a glimpse of what we think Jesus thinks is most important, we should probably listen to what he said the loudest. And I think what he probably said the loudest is found in Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> so turn to Matthew 28. And the reason I say he said this the loudest is because most of us or many of us don't know when it's time to speak our last words, Right? You don't, you don't know whether tomorrow is, uh, you're going to have tomorrow or not. It's not promised to you, right? And so we, we all know the stories of the people who said something mean to somebody in their family, had a spat with a loved one, and then went off and somebody had an accident and they never came back and they never got to resolve it and they never got to make it right. They didn't know those were going to be their last words. And it's always tragic, right? Jesus knew what his last words would be. Jesus knew when his time was up. He knew when he was about to ascend into heaven and what he was to say in order to leave an indelible mark on the people who were going to be his followers. And we're going to see it in two places. The first is in Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's saying, I'm about to ascend into heaven. You're not going to see me anymore. I just want to leave you with one thing, one instruction. You say, what has all this training been about? What has all this time been about? What have you been getting us ready for, Jesus? What do you want us to do? Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to lay aside all the other things that will trip you up, and I want you to focus on going and making disciples, followers of Jesus, out of people everywhere. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, and I want you to teach them to observe all the things that I commanded you. In other words, tell people about me and teach them to follow me, because as you know, they will never find true fulfillment unless they follow me. We think that if we could just do this, if we could just have that, if we could just be in this relationship, if we could just you know, have this car, or this house, or this fame, or this fortune, or whatever, then we'll be truly fulfilled. But every one of us who's lived more than, I don't know, three weeks knows that it doesn't work that way. You get something, and then pretty soon it's just that, that same old thing you have, and you need something else to keep you going, right? Jesus said, look, here's the thing. If they become followers of me, they'll find true fulfillment. And, and yeah, they're going to have to cast off what they, what they thought their life was about and who they thought they should be. And they're going to have to actually become true followers of me. And as they follow me, they're going to find their fulfillment in me. So teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's what I want you to devote your life to, Jesus said. 
And then we have a similar conversation. This one is apparently the very last one that we get. It's in Acts chapter 1. And we're going to see Jesus saying something very similar right before he ascends into heaven. As soon as he finishes saying what he's, got, what he's about to say, he ascends into heaven and they see him no more. So as far as we know, these are the very last words Jesus ever spoke on earth before he ascended to heaven. Here's what he said, Acts 1, 6. So when they had come together, <clears throat> they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? See, they still didn't understand about the kingdom. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. You will be my witness. You, you will be my eyewitness. You will be the one who describes what it is like to know me so that other people can come to know me. And where will you do this? Jerusalem, that's their hometown. Judea, that's sort of the surrounding region around Jerusalem. Samaria, that's across the railroad tracks where those other people live, okay? And then even to the uttermost parts of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses. This is what your life is supposed to be about. When you come to the end of your life and you say, was I a success or a failure? You're going to base it on this. Did I go and make disciples of all nations? Was I a witness for, for Christ wherever I went and even to the uttermost parts of the earth? That's going to become the measuring stick of success. Because apparently Jesus' priorities for a life well lived are different than the things we run into in this world. So I think today's a great day, December the 31st, to think in terms of loving God. How am I doing at loving God? How's my relationship with God going? It's a great day to think about this issue of loving people. How am I doing at representing Christ's love to people, people who are different than me, people who think differently than I do, people who voted for somebody different than I did, people who come from a different background, people who don't look like me, think like me, or act like me? How am I doing at truly, actually loving people in Jesus' name? It's a good time to think about that. It's a good time to ask ourselves this question, what am I involved in where God is changing the world and I'm being a part of that with him? It's a good time for us to ask that question. And so what I want to do today is to devote the rest of our time to actually thinking through we as a church, what have we been involved in that is about the Great Commission and the Great Commandment? What is it that we've been doing? What is it that we ought to be doing? How can we evaluate how we're doing in terms of uh, really global missions work, okay? Now, if you come on January the 28th to the, to the family meeting, you're going to hear all kinds of stuff about local things where this church is being salt and light in this local community and how that's working and what God has in mind for 2018 and how we're going to join him in that. Well, I'm not going to talk about any of that today. The only thing I'm going to talk about, and I'm rushing to get it through, is the global impact of this church. If you cross a border, if you cross an ocean, if you cross a continent, in what ways are we involved in this bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth? Now, as a church, we're involved in missions in three very specific ways. The first is that we support specific missionaries. It's never been enough in my mind for us as a church 
to throw a bunch of money into a pot with a bunch of other churches and just support 10,000 faceless missionaries out there. I think that's a good thing, and we do it. But I want us to know who we're working with. I want to know what they're doing. I want to help them. I want to actually practically come alongside and lift them up in prayer. I want, to, I want to meet specific needs that they have that somebody else doesn't have. So we get involved with specific missionaries who are in the field full time, and we support them in various ways we're going to talk about. The second thing we do is that we support specific missions organizations. There are some mission organizations that are doing great work in places where we are not, and what we're doing is funding that, praying for them, going on short-term trips to support them, and doing various things to help them. We're going to talk about a couple of those missions organizations today, and then we're going to talk about this issue of sending people, that, that sometimes God actually requires us to stand up, shake some roots out of our feet, and go somewhere and represent Him. To actually, to actually get uncomfortable, to actually get our own hands dirty with the work of missions. And we're going to talk about that today as well. So I'm going to talk really fast and try to get through all of that before you guys uh, riot and head out to Applebee's, okay? Let's start with some of the specific missionaries that we support. First, I want to bring up a picture of Bob and Judy White. Now, uh, some of you know Bob and Judy. They're here every couple of years, and we get a chance to hear from them and talk with them and see what's going on. Uh, Bob and Judy have been a part of the Grace Fellowship family for 11 years, and they were a part of the Duarte Fellowship Church before that for probably another two decades. So we have known and been working with these guys and their involvement with New Tribes Missions since Bob's mustache was a different color, okay? Okay. <laughs> And um, Bob and Judy are just amazing people. They work with an organization called Ethnos 360, which uh, is a brand new name for an organization that some of you have heard of called New Tribes Mission. So I call it New Tribes because that's what I've known it for as for decades. But um, they work with New Tribes. And the cool thing about New Tribes is that New Tribes entire ministry is only about bringing the gospel to people groups who have never heard the gospel before. The only people that New Tribes is reaching out to is they are reaching out to tribes and communities in remote places who speak little known languages that have no written language, who have never heard the gospel, never had the Bible in their own language, and they send missionaries to live with them and learn their language for years so that they can share the gospel in the language of the people and then translate the New Testament into their language. That's what New Tribes does. And that's what Bob and Judy have been a part of for all of these years. They were in Venezuela for a long time working with uh, tribal people there uh, until Hugo Chavez took over and he made all the missionaries leave. And when that happened, they went back to the uh, home base for New Tribes, which is in Missouri, and they began working, training other missionaries and preparing them to go out into the field, especially in the area of technology. So everything has to be solar powered. Everything has to be satellite driven in terms of communication, all that kind of stuff. Very, very different, right? So they do the preparation, they create the machinery, they do the training, they handle the calls from people who are in the field. And they just support and encourage and help them. Um, let me show you a quick little video. New Tribes had their 75th anniversary this year. They put together a two or three minute video just to give us a glimpse 
of what they're all about. So watch the screen. NTM was born out of a need for a channel through which unevangelized people groups might more rapidly be reached with the gospel. In the words of our founder, Paul Fleming, His love is that a man might know, even to the uttermost part of the earth, and so he gave that great commission to us, to go and tell all men, to every tribe, preaching the gospel, that men might know about Jesus Christ and his saving power. Motivated by the love of Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit, NTM exists to assist the ministry of the local church. How? Through the mobilizing, equipping, and coordinating of missionaries to evangelize unreached people groups, translate the scriptures, and see indigenous New Testament churches established that truly glorify God. As missionaries head out, they count the cost willing to face hardship and sacrifice to see a thriving church for every people. In the early days, when missionaries sought to make a friendly contact with the Ayore people of Bolivia, they were aware of the risks involved. Cecil Dye wrote, I don't believe we care so much whether this expedition is a failure so far as our lives are concerned, but we want God to get the most possible glory from everything that happens. From the world's point of view, the expedition was a failure. Five men were martyred. But God did get the glory. A friendly contact was later established and the Ayore Church was born. Over the years, NTM has seen God's guiding hand in refining our initial and ongoing training programs. As different nationalities expressed an interest in reaching the unreached, NTM began missionary training centers in multiple countries around the globe. Today, missionaries of various nationalities and ethnic backgrounds serve side by side. Their goal? To see a thriving church for every people. Though our methods continue to change with the times, the message remains the same. Missionaries learn the culture and language well before preparing and teaching foundational Bible lessons that begin with creation and culminate with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then they stand in awe as God gives the increase. It's not about who we are, but who God is. Celebrate with us as we stand in awe that because of who God is, NTM missionaries are working among 259 people groups. Because of who God is, over 1,200 churches have been planted. And because of who God is, 640 of those have appointed their own elders. To date, 79 New Testaments have been translated, and 110 translations are in progress. In Zechariah 4.6 we read, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's all about Him. Let's celebrate as we praise God for all He has done over the past 75 years. God is building His church among every tribe, tongue, and nation. So Bob and Judy White are right at the center of that, and 
they're able to do it because for the last 30 years or so, uh, you have been putting money in an offering plate that has supported their lives so that they can give 100% of their time to that. God's doing amazing things, and we get to be a tiny little part of that. I talked to them this week, and um, <clears throat> they informed me that they're going to be retiring in the spring. So they don't even know what that means. They don't know what that looks like. Um, because when your life is dedicated to serving Jesus, you never retire from that, right? So they don't know what comes next or what, but we're going to see them in March. They'll be here and they'll have a chance to share with us. In the meantime, be praying for them as they make this transition because God is going to continue to do amazing things through them. Uh, the next uh, family that I want to highlight, um, I'm going to put their picture and their name up on the screen, but I'm not going to mention their name because this goes out on the internet. And what they do is kind of clandestine and needs to stay below the radar. So we're not going to mention their name. But most of you know them. Uh, they, they are a family that is based in Malaga, Spain. And if you know the geography there, Malaga is at the very bottom tip of Spain. And it's just a little, a little uh, boat ride, really, across the, a tiny little bit of water in order to get to Africa from there. So they're in Europe, but they have easy access to North Africa, and they have easy access to the Middle East, and they have easy access to the rest of Europe, which all is very strategic because God has called them to reach Muslims for Christ. And so that's what they're doing. And you say, well, how do they do that? They do it in any way that the Lord makes available to them. Um, they live with their son and daughter there in Spain so that they can have that easy access. And when you try to ask them, well, what is it that you do Basically, what they'll tell you is, you know, we just have the spirit of Barnabas. Barnabas is in the book of Acts, and we see him, every time we see him in the book of Acts, he's doing the same thing. He's encouraging and helping somebody else. In fact, his name means son of encouragement. And that's what they want to be about. They want to be about supporting the workers that are over there, uh, reaching people for Christ. Uh, they've been doing that in 2017 in a whole bunch of ways. One is that they've been supporting workers in Jordan, Lebanon, and Israel, mostly dealing with refugees. So we read about the refugee issue here. It happens there, right? And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have been chased from their homes and are now refugees who are living in refugee camps, and they've lost everything. Many of them are Muslim. Many of them are Christian. Many of them don't have a religious affiliation. But what's happening is that because of the Muslim violence in these places where these people are fleeing from, many of them are renouncing Islam and for the first time in their lives are open to the gospel. And we're seeing thousands and thousands of former Muslims come to know Jesus. Now look, I don't know what your politics are about the refugee crisis. doesn't matter to me. Here's what I have to say, and I've said it before many times. As the church of Jesus Christ, we are pro-refugee. As the church of Jesus Christ, we are to stand and help those who are in the deepest areas of need in life. One way or another, we need to help. Now, the political ramifications of that as a nation, that's very complicated, and I'm not going to tell you what you need to believe about that, but I will tell you this. As a Christian, you need to care deeply for that. And what we're seeing is 
that um, many people as Christians reach out to them and just love them in their crisis are coming to know Jesus Christ, which is an amazing thing. And this family is right in the center of that. Another thing that is super cool, I want to bring up a map of Africa so you have a picture of this. Um, so this is Africa, the continent of Africa. It's gigantic. It's gigantic. You could fit like five United States in Africa. Um, and if you look at the top part of the map where it's beige, most of that is just the Sahara Desert, right? And so below that line where it gets more colorful, that's called Sub-Saharan Africa. And that's where most of our missions work has been. That's where we're in Uganda and Zimbabwe and Rwanda and all these kinds of places where our church members are going and doing ministry. Um, but uh, Saharan Africa is, is almost impossible to minister in because uh, it's, it's very tightly Muslim held. It's uh, very uh, uh, close to the gospel. It's close to Westerners. What's happening, though, is that in sub-Saharan Africa, for the last 20 to 30 years, there's been revival taking place, and the church is rising up, and the church is now starting to reach some level of maturity in sub-Saharan Africa, and what the Holy Spirit is doing in the church in sub-Saharan Africa is He's stirring within believers there to care for, for the northern Africans and to reach them with the gospel. So now Africans are the missionaries who are going north in order to reach people with the gospel. And this family that we support is, is heavily involved in helping with that and, and um, uh, equipping and partnering and doing anything that they can to do that. They also have these prayer gatherings in their house. They, they, they know every single missionary in that region of the world. They gather with people. They pray for, encourage, support, and help people. They have this vision that in the next 10 years, 10% of the world's Muslims will come to know Christ. Now you say, that's kind of a wimpy vision, 10%. That's 180 million people. Their vision is for 180 million people who hate Jesus will come to know Christ in the next 10 years. And the way that you see the Holy Spirit working and the things he's doing to equip the church for this, I believe it's possible. And we need to be praying and supporting. So, so every month they open their mail and they get a big fat check from Grace Fellowship. And we say, look, we just want to make sure that you are taken care of so you can do the ministry that God has called you to do. Um, I'm there every couple of years. They're just encouraging them and, and lifting them up. They're here every couple of years and we minister to them. When their kids came here for college, we supported their kids and came alongside of them and helped them. We just are family with these guys. And God is doing amazing things in and through them, and you get to be a part of it. It's changing the world one life at a time. That's what we're a part of. Now, I'm going to mention briefly a couple of organizations that we're involved in supporting, um, because uh, you hear about these organizations from time to time, but probably they're sort of out of sight, out of mind. The first is Reigning Hope. Now, Reigning Hope is probably the, the, the ministry, uh, missions organization that most of us could name if you've been around this church for any length of time. We've been heavily, heavily involved in this ministry. We're by far the largest financial supporter of Reigning Hope. We have more people involved with Reigning Hope. We are praying for Reigning Hope. We, are, we have sent numerous people to Uganda to be servants there with the kids at Reigning Hope. It's so awesome for me. We took this picture two years ago, three years ago, three years ago. Uh, Kelly and Katie and I were there and we, we took this picture um, all those kids are big, almost all of them. When I met them, they were this size. 
And the Lord has been raising up this family of kids who are now so in love with Jesus and so well equipped to be followers of Christ that reigning hope out of the home that they live in, that we were a part of establishing, that out of the home that they live in, they've now planted a church that is now much larger than our church and, and is reaching the lost. And you know who's doing the ministry? The kids in the blue shirts. It's incredible. And they have this vision that they're going to become the change agents for their nation and for Africa and for the world. And they're doing what it takes to become that. See, guys, that is an investment that is way beyond something that is good, like giving clothing to someone who's cold or giving water to someone who's thirsty or food to someone who's hungry. All of that is necessary and good, but this is an investment in an entire lifetime and generation after generation, the kingdom of God is going to advance because of the kids at Reigning Hope. Edie, who is the director of Reigning Hope, she lives here, but she's there right now. And in fact, right now they're 11 hours ahead of us. So it's 11 PM. They're getting ready to get to New Year's. And, um, they're holding New Year's Eve services that start at 8 p.m. and go to 5 in the morning. And they are sharing the gospel with their whole community. So we need to be praying for them as they do that. And God is just continuing to do amazing things through Reigning Hope. If you want to know more about Reigning Hope, you can go to their website, reigninghope.org, and you can find out more about them. Okay? Here's another one. Wells of Hope. Not related to Reigning Hope, but you see that guy kneeling down in front? That's Francis. If you don't know Francis, Francis has been a member of our church for the last three years or so, and he just moved back to Africa. He's the founder of Wells of Hope International, which is a humongous international global ministry that he leads that um, is changing lives of people. Let me just give you a brief rundown. Um, I have only been to... I don't know, five or six countries in Africa. I don't know what it's like in every country, but everywhere I've been, here's the deal. Um, the concept of, of justice does not exist in the way that we think of it in the West. And so what happens is, for instance, let's say that um, somebody robbed a store and they were wearing a yellow shirt and they got away. And then the cops see you wearing a yellow shirt. They arrest you. And they don't take you to a holding cell while you await an arraignment to see if they have enough evidence to try you. They take you to prison and you rot. And you probably never have a trial. If you get a trial at all, it's probably corrupt. You're not supported. It's a brutal, brutal situation. And so a gigantic percentage of the people in their prisons and even on death row never committed a crime. They just crossed the wrong politician or police officer or somebody came after them or whatever. And so uh, that separates them from their families. Now you have kids living on the street, no parent to support them and all that. What Wells of Hope does is they dive right into the middle of that mess and um, they find the prisoners who have children. They go to wherever these far off villages are and they seek out these children and they find them and they adopt them and they take them to the Wells of Hope Academy where they feed them and love them and clothe them and educate them and parent them and lead them to Jesus and make disciples of Christ for the rest of their lives. That's what they do. And they, they're involved in prison reform. Uh, they're involved in international politics where uh, last year, the year before, uh, Francis was a keynote speaker at the United Nations. 
talking about this issue, trying to, to bring it, raise awareness. They are doing amazing things to change lives one life at a time. And when you, I encourage you, go to their website and check it out. Watch some of the videos and see what God's doing among these kids. It's just like reigning hope. It's a lifetime investment in training up a new generation of Christians who are a part of the people that are changing the world. They're the ones who are getting that burden for North Africa and going to reach out to them. It's pretty amazing. So last year we had a big yard sale in the spring like we usually do. We raised 2,300 bucks by selling our junk that we don't want anymore. And we sent the check to Wells of Hope from all that money. And with that money, they're helping to build a new chapel that they're going to be using at uh, Wells of Hope Academy for the kids to worship. And they bought, I don't know how many hundred chairs that they needed for, um, so they can have chapel services. And uh, so we're getting to be a part of that, and we continue to support and encourage and pray for them. And if you want to know more about that, uh, go to wellsofhope.org. I just got an email uh, from Francis this morning wishing us all a happy new year. He wanted me to greet you guys and let, let you know that he loves you and he's praying for you. So let's keep praying for him. Um, I would love to take a ton of time and talk about Kelly Marley and what God has done with her in Rwanda. Last year, she was in Rwanda uh, with Under His Umbrella Ministries, and they were reaching out to kids and touching lives and changing lives for people forever. If you, you've heard about that when she came back, if you want to hear more about that, wave your arm. She will tell you all about that. See her afterwards, but I'm not going to show you that video again and all of that, but I just want to make you aware of that. Um, and there are so many others. There's so many that I just don't have time to talk about uh, that we're involved with where the world is being changed. You know, sometimes we forget this, but I'm going to say now, I lose track of time because I've been the pastor of this church since Peter was on the earth. But, um, but I'm going to say 15, 18, 20 years ago, uh, we planted three churches in the Philippines. Uh, and, and they became independent and they are on their own and continuing to reach tiny little islands in the Philippines. We never, we're not even in contact with them anymore. I don't even know what's going on with them, but they're just, they're planting churches and, and the kingdom continues to advance. You know, we planted a Korean church in Roland Heights. Um, we planted a Chinese church in Roland Heights. Both of those churches now have planted multiple churches themselves. Both of those churches are running over a thousand people and are reaching their community for Jesus Christ. We continue to, uh, to be, the ripple effect of our ministry continues to happen. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit is doing something great and he's kind enough to invite you to come and be a part of it. And that's what we've been experiencing and getting to see that. And so I've, I talked about, first of all, individual missionaries that we support in the field. We talked about a couple of them. I talked about uh, organizations. We talked about a couple of them. Uh, and then the other thing is those that we send. We mentioned Kelly. We mentioned the trips we've taken to Uganda. Um, but I want to ask Bo and Mim to come up and talk to us a little bit about Zimbabwe because the world is changing for the people of Zimbabwe. Come on up, guys. Grab that microphone if you would. Um, if you've been watching the news, uh, Zimbabwe has just undergone or is undergoing a radical change. I'm going to have these guys tell you all about it. Uh, but we have a presence in Zimbabwe. The Lord has used three churches primarily here in the San Gabriel Valley, 
Um, and we're one of those churches to put a team together that, that continues ministry in Zimbabwe. These guys go almost every year, and they're getting ready to go again this year. So I'm going to let you guys talk about it. What's happening in Zimbabwe? Amazing things are happening in Zimbabwe. <laughs> that one's on. Um, Robert Mugabe, who was the uh, revolutionary, led the revolution to... Uh, throw the British out. Uh, he was a very good revolutionary, a very poor leader of a country. But for 39 years, he has been the dictator there. Very ruthless dictator, and through a lot of mismanagement, has hurt the country an awful lot. Um, 2 Corinthians 7.14 says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Just about two months ago, church leaders in Zimbabwe came together and in front of their congregations said, we have sinned, we have been corrupt in our dealings with money, in our dealings with you, and we need your forgiveness. And they knelt down with their congregations and started to pray. And there was a bloodless coup. No shots fired. They said to President Mugabe, you need to rest. And changes are happening in Zimbabwe. Churches are uniting. How many churches here in America get together just to pray? They put us to shame that way. Um, this is also a time of great opportunity. Uh, our friends in Zimbabwe that we've been in contact with through email or through Facebook, uh, they keep on saying these words, cautious optimism. The new president, Manangagwa, has promised fair, legal, you know, transparent Democratic. elections, which is really, really good. Um, and his, he's a businessman which will probably help your economy because he knows a little bit about money. But he also has three children who attend a church pastored by one of our friends in Zimbabwe. So there's a way for God to get into his life too, to speak into his life. And it also brings up a lot of points for prayer, which I'm gonna let Mim tell you about. So um, we obviously, Zimbabwe is very close to our hearts. And um, if you guys would like to get out a pen so that you can write down, because there's lots of things to pray about. <laughs> but um, primarily just for God's protection for Zimbabwe during this time of transition. It's a huge transition for them. It's political transition. It's economic transition. It's in, in every way. And it affects everybody in the country. So just ask that God would protect them, um, that Satan wouldn't be allowed to come in and just mess everything up. Um, and then also that, um, you know, the church would continue to be um, a force in that country. We've already seen how as the church comes together and prays that it's amazing what God has done and what God will continue to do. And just that the church would unite and that they could be a beacon to the world and to us that we could grow from their example 
Um, and then, as Doug said, we, um, we have been to Zimbabwe several times, and um, we have friends who are very near and dear to us that God would protect them. Um, it's a very hard time for them because the economy is horrible. They have no money. They said there's no money in the banks anywhere. Um, and so they've been using the US dollars since 2009. And they have no source of getting US dollars. So it's basically just a barter system. Whatever you have that I want and I have that you want, we trade and that's how life works. Um, but it's a real hard time for them. Um, last year they were getting seven cents on the dollar for their um, families. So it's really, really challenging. Um, but you know, when you are in a time of hardship, that's when you turn to the Lord. Yeah. And this church has just come on fire for the Lord. And they have such peace and joy that we don't have because we get stuck with all of our stuff. And they don't have any stuff, you know? They don't have anything. And so um, we are so grateful that we are all the body of Christ and we can partner together with them and we can pray for them. They pray for us. Yeah. They pray for us. So, um, and then lastly, um, as Doug mentioned, we're um, really excited to be going back to Zim and um, we are praying about being a part of a team again. Um, and so would you just pray that um, God would use our church however he chooses um, to go, to send, to pray, to support, however he chooses to do that. Um, we are so grateful and um, just thank you very much. Yeah, good. Thanks, guys. Um, so there's going to be a team going in 2018 in the summer. Now, Bo and Mim uh, are going to spend the entire summer there. Uh, and we're going to be supporting them, encouraging them, you know, providing for their needs, doing all that kind of stuff. But um, there's also a need for people to go on a shorter term trip to Zimbabwe and partner with them during the summer. So um, if you are interested in finding out more about that, you want to know when it's going to be, what it's going to involve, who's, uh, what do you need to be qualified, all that kind of stuff, go and speak to them, okay? Because you're going to be hearing more about it in the months ahead, but, but it's already late in the game to start preparing for a trip to Africa. So if the Lord is putting it on your heart and you're going, man, I, I would love to be a part of that then at least you need to begin praying about it. You need to know what you're praying about. So talk to Bo and Mim, and they can kind of fill you in on what's happening and, and what's going to be involved. Guys, I wish we had more time. Um, there's so much more to say about what God is doing. What I want you to come away with is a couple things. First of all, I want you to come away from this time going, um, what an incredible privilege it is to have God working and invite you to be a part of it. That's for how we've been blessed for all of this time, being able to, to be involved in these various ministries and so many others that we didn't have time to talk about. Um, the other thing that I want you to take away from this is, you know, this has not been a comprehensive account of all that is going on and all that we are involved with. You're going to hear a ton more at the family meeting at the end of January. But here's the thing, guys. God has not brought you to Grace Fellowship to be a spectator. God didn't bring you into the family of God to be a spectator. 
It's, it's not just about what you or I gets out of being a part of the church. It's about God putting people together in such a way that we fit together like a jigsaw puzzle so that his plan can be carried out. And, and so I want us thinking about this kind of stuff as we come to the end of the year and it's natural for us to take stock. You know what? If you need to join a gym, join a gym. If you need to open a savings account, open a savings account. If you got to quit smoking, quit smoking. I'm all for all of that. But here's the deal. What if instead of having such short-sighted vision, we actually started to care about treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth? What if we began to care about the things that Jesus cares about more than the things that the world cares about? What if we began as a group to be people who said, I am willing to become uncomfortable so that somebody might come to know Jesus Christ and the world could be changed? It's time for us to get really focused on loving God, loving people, and changing the world. Because guys, the clock is ticking. Did 2017 go by quickly? <laughs> really fast. 2018 will go by faster. The clock is ticking. I don't know how much more time I have left on this earth, but I know I have one day less than I had yesterday. And I don't want to waste it. And I don't want any of us to waste it. I am honored to be a part of a church that takes the Great Commission seriously. I'm honored to be a part of a church that takes the great commandment seriously. That's about loving people wherever they are, whatever they're going through, whatever their struggles might be or however different they might be than us and, and helping share the love of Christ with people just as the love of Christ was shared with us. I'm thrilled to be a part of a church like that. And 2017 was a great year. But here's what I want to leave you with. How will you store up treasures in heaven in 2018? That's what we need to be thinking about as we move into the new year. Let's stand and we'll pray together.